I want to go ahead and introduce our speaker today. We are very privileged and honored to have with us the Reverend Dr. Marion Platt. Marion is the director of the Star Gospel Mission. Uh, many of you are familiar with the work of the Star Gospel Mission and its 117-year history here in the city of Charleston. Uh, Marion is the new director following up on our own Bill Christian, uh, who was there beforehand. Marion has a fascinating background. He served um, two enlistments as a U.S. Army infantryman, uh, and then he embarked on a 19-year ministry and career with the Salvation Army, where he was engaged in all sorts of different uh, aspects of ministry in that organization and lived uh, in various places around the country. Um, Marion is also someone who is involved uh, civically wherever he goes. He is on the board um, already for interna the International African American Museum in Charleston, and he is uh, a family man uh, with his three children, Dina, Josh, and Zion, uh, and he is uh, a great addition to our City of Charleston ministry team and to uh, our St. Philip's Men's Lunch. So please join me in welcoming Marion Platt. Good afternoon, everyone. I tell you, it's, uh, it's a real privilege uh, to be with you here today. Um, it, it really means a lot to me. The St. Philip's uh, congregation and family has been tremendously supportive and encouraging to me. And so uh, the opportunity to be with you and to share um, a little bit about my story, a little bit about the mission, and a little bit about how God's Word has impacted my life is, uh, is a rare privilege. You know, someone once said, when you're driving down a country road and you see a turtle on a fence post, that's a post turtle. Now, you know, he didn't get up there by himself. And I feel the need to say that I can identify with that post turtle because I am utterly hopeless without the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ who helps me accomplish the things that I cannot and could not accomplish on my own. Now, it might help you to understand if you knew a little bit more about my story, where I come from. And um, I'm going to call this, these are the parts of my resume that aren't necessarily in my bio, but when I have the opportunity to speak to men, I'll, uh, I'll crack open uh, the second cabinet, if you will, um, and share with you a little bit of my story. And I call this a list of reasons that I should not be here. Well, my mother gave birth to me three days after she turned 15 years old. I met my dad when I was five years old and only saw him here and there in the streets of Charleston because he was homeless. He even had a little stay at a place called Star Gospel Mission. Most of my childhood in Charleston, I felt like an outcast. I was either the lightest in the room or the darkest in the room. I never really fit in. But we'll talk about that in a moment. I witnessed bloodshed for the first time at four years old. 
was exposed to extreme pornography at five years old, touched inappropriately at six years old. I knew how to roll a joint at seven. I smoked marijuana before I was even an adolescent. Started drinking liquor in ninth grade. Y'all still with me? Ain't nobody walking out yet. Okay, all right. This is, this is my story, not yours. Okay, all right. I uh, became a father at 16. Uh, married at 17, divorced by 19, left the Christian faith for 10 years and embraced Islam as my faith tradition. Tradition, And all during that time, I had an ongoing active addiction to porn, to drugs, to alcohol. And in turning away from those things, giving my life to Jesus, even then, listen, I've dealt with anxiety, anger, and depression. So if you needed proof, that I'm not here to impress you today, there you have it. I'm just a turtle on a fence post standing before you today. Uh, Redeemed, Jesus following, joyfully recovering, broken mess. A minister of the Gospel who somehow has a position which majors in caring for the souls of broken men. How poetic. Who in the world hired this guy, you might be asking? Well, I didn't say all this in my interview. (laughs) But I do want you to know that in everything I do, including right up to this exact moment, no one is more aware of how unworthy and undeserving I am than me. One of my favorite hymns, uh, Depth of Mercy by Charles Wesley, he wrote, Whence to me this waste of love? (laughs) Ask my advocate above. See the cause in Jesus' face, now before the throne of grace. Oh, friends, I am hopeless. Hopeless. Without the grace of God, I depend on it. God's grace, God's mercy is the only hope The only hope for a dude like me. So I've placed my trust in Him and Him alone. Not in diplomas and degrees and distinctions and my own sense of dignity. None of that matters. It's all refuse. Garbage. It's only Him. Only Him. Only Him alone. I'd have nothing if it weren't for Jesus. And now you know that for sure. Well, Some other people put this turtle on a fence post. These, I thank God for my grandparents. These these two sets of my grandparents, all four of them, had a share in shaping me and exposing me to Jesus the Nazarene. One of my grandfathers was a Southern Baptist. The other was a missionary Baptist. If you don't know which is which, come see me and I'll help you out with that, okay? Both of my grandparents, uh, my grandfathers were military men. They were both from Charleston, different sides of the tracks, if you will. And uh, each of them found their brides near a military installation. One at Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah, Georgia. The other uh, at Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina, found a little Lumbee girl from the Lumbee Nation of Robinson County, North Carolina. Well, like my grandfathers, I served two enlistments in the U.S. Army. Then I went on to serve 19 years with my wife in the Salvation Army. 
I am the husband of one. I am the father of three and follower, as I've shared with you, of one. Now serving as the director of the mission. Now, St. Philip's has always had a great relationship with Star Gospel Mission, and I know that. And I hold that as vitally important and significant. And I've had wonderful opportunities to interact with the ministers and the laity here who have been more than just supporters, but who have been participants in the mission. And that's great to see. Now, you may know a little bit about Star Gospel Mission. It's Charleston's oldest Christian charity, dating back to 1904. And as the executive director, I stand on the shoulders of giants like the founder, Obadiah Dugan, then Ernest Dugan, Ernest Dugan Jr., Doug Donahue, whoever this handsome rascal is. (laughs) And then there's me. The only guy with a beard and a bow tie. So now you know probably too much about me. (laughs) But since I'm speaking with men, I want to take a couple minutes to exhort you from the Scriptures. And in particular, I'd like to talk a little bit about this dude that you may be somewhat familiar with. His name is Samson. And if you will bear with me for just a moment for the purpose of this study, I will refer to Samson as a he-man with more than just a she-weakness. When we think of his story, we, all, we often think about how he lost nearly everything because of his woman. But by, I, I, I want to help you to see some other areas in his life where he dealt with failure. If you like to read the Scriptures, you know that by the time we get to the book of Judges, God has a very complicated relationship with His people. In no less than four places in the book of Judges, it points out that in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, throughout history, God had delivered His people from slavery in Egypt under the leadership of Moses. And then they moved into the Promised Land under the leadership of Joshua. And by that time, the Israelites were a very strong people. 400 years of slavery and 40 years in the desert will do that to you. There were millions in number. And among them were many skilled warriors. And as they moved into the Promised Land, they overthrew all of the people's who were living there. But after some time, the people began to get lazy and lax, comfortable, complacent. They stopped obeying the Lord, stopped listening to God. They stopped observing His commandment. They forgot Leviticus chapter 26.6, which says, Obey the commands of the Lord and there will be peace in the land. And no one will make you Afraid. And even more ominous, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3, he had warned them if you disobey, even the sound of a leaf blowing in the wind will scare you. Now that sounds real simple. Until you've been all alone at night in the woods and you hear a leaf blowing across the ground, it's enough to raise all of the hair on your neck. I've been there, I understand. But God said, 
if you observe my commandments, if you stay connected to who I am and how I am, you will not have to live in fear. And so there had been 300 years of disobedience, gross immorality, rampant violence among the Israelites. There was corruption, there was lawlessness, and there had not been any king in Israel. But what God would do, He would raise up judges to deliver Israel from their enemies. There were 15 judges throughout Scripture, and today I want to talk about lucky number 13, a man that many of us have in common with Samson, a he-man, with more than just a she-weakness. His, st- his story is found in Judges chapter 13 through 16, and I would really like to read it and take my time as a preacher, but I've been given a time limit. To, I've been told I've got to land this plane at a certain time and get you all up out of here. So I'm, gonna, uh, I'm just going to kind of give you the Reader's Digest version of this. But basically, Samson's story goes like this. His father was named Manoah, and Manoah and his wife were childless. And then... One day, a man appeared to Manoah's wife and said, you're going to get pregnant and have a son. He went on to say, his head shall never be touched by a razor because the boy will be a Nazarite. And if you need to know more about what a Nazarite creed looks like, you can find it in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. And so Manoah's wife went and found her husband, and she said to him that this man came and visited me and told me this information. And when, when uh, she told him this story, Manoah said, well, I hope he shows up again. And when the man did show up again, Manoah said to him, okay, What's this about the boy you promised we would have? And the man repeated himself. Judges chapter 13, verse 14. And later, while Manoah was cooking dinner for everybody, the guy jumped into the flames and rode the fire right to heaven. And that's when they realized that they had been visited by an angel. In Judges chapter 13, verses 24 and 25, that's where we found that Samson was born. It tells the story of his birth. Now, there were four problems that I want to identify today that plagued the life of Samson. And there are things that are not uncommon to men like us. Four things. The first would be compromise. The next, impulsivity. The next, arrogance and also overconfidence. Compromise, impulsivity, arrogance, overconfidence. All words that are somewhat familiar to us. We get it. Hopefully we reflect on it. Maybe we even inspect and audit ourselves to see where these things are showing up in our lives and what we can do about it. Let me help you with a definition of the word Compromise. It means to make a shameful or disreputable concession, to go back or give up on one's own principles. Nothing hurts worse as a man than to fail yourself. Is that right? Nothing hurts worse than to go back on your own word 
or on your own commitments. And sometimes we deal with that privately. But in Samson's life, compromise shows up very often. In fact, he's going to break all three provisions of the Nazarite creed in his life. That, that uh, Nazarite creed had to do with uh, having no wine. Someone who had taken a Nazarite vow, they're not supposed to have wine. Uh, second, they're not to fiddle with dead bodies. And third, never cut their hair. Wasn't that uncommon? Don't cut your hair. Don't mess with dead bodies. Don't use alcohol. So, what did our hero do? Samson. In Judges chapter 14, he falls in love with a Philistine girl which is obviously a problem in and of itself because she doesn't share his faith or his culture or any of the things that would help her to make him stable in his relationship with God. But what does he do after he becomes engaged to her? He goes and throws himself a, uh, a mista, which is basically a week-long keg party. And so, here's what happens. A few days before the party a lion attacks him. And this is one of my favorite parts in the story because the Bible says that uh, Samson, when faced with the lion, he tore the lion apart like a young goat. And I, okay, so I like context. And I just need to... Like, was that popular in the day? Like, is that what just men did? Was tear young goats apart? But that's the illustration the Bible uses. Tore the lion apart like a young goat. Well, a few days later, Samson is walking down the path and he happens to see the carcass, dead body, of the lion that he had killed. And he notices that there's a beehive in the abdomen. And so he goes into the lion's abdomen, touches the dead body, scoops out some of the honey with his hand, and he eats it, violating the command never to touch a carcass. And as you know, he ends up cutting his hair too, which leads to his downfall. Compulsion. Or compromise. He's compromised all of that. The next is impulsion, his impulsivity, which is described as doing things or tending to do things suddenly and without careful thought. Now, I know none of us deal with that here we all think strategically about what we're going to do, when we're going to do it, and exactly why. But our hero, Samson, didn't really give a whole lot of thought. Because throughout his life, he is absolutely controlled by his passions. He gets hungry for honey, he eats. He wants a woman, he takes her. It doesn't matter if she's a Philistine or a prostitute or whatever. And when Samson tells his parents that he wants to marry this Philistine girl, they object and he says, no matter what, get her for me because she pleases me. He is impulsive. He gets mad, he kills people. I'll give you one quick illustration of this from the Scriptures. After Samson kills the lion, eats the honey out of its belly, on the way to his bachelor beer keg party, he has this idea. He tells these 30 Philistine guys at the party, pretty sure that he's probably a little sideways by this time, 
he tells these 30 Philistine guys, hey, look, I'm going to tell y'all a riddle real quick. And we'll make it interesting. If you can figure out my riddle within seven days, I'll give each of you a new set of clothes. But if you can't figure it out, you will have to give me a suit of clothes. Well, I don't know if it was the beer or whatever. They're thinking about it. They can't figure it out. So they go to his bride-to-be. And they say to her, if you don't get Samson to tell you this riddle, and you tell us, then we're going to burn down your father's house with fire. So she goes to Samson and asks her, and he won't tell her the answer to the riddle. So what does she do? You know, she starts crying. Oh, Samson, you don't really love me. Verse 17 says that she wept before him. How long? Seven days. What kind of bachelor party is that? And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. The Bible says, then she told the riddle to her people. Verse 18. And then the men of the city went to him on the seventh day before the sun set. And they said, ah, Samson. Hey, look, ya. what is? sweeter than honey what is stronger than a lion and he said to them in reply and i i do not recommend this he said well if y'all had not plowed with my heifer (laughs) then you wouldn't know my riddle well samson is angry at this point impulses all in him he is angry And what does he do? He gets ticked off. And so he goes and he kills 30 other Philistines, takes their clothes off, and throws those clothes at the men who guessed his riddle. Impulsivity. All bloody and torn. He says, here's your clothes. Wow. That is, listen, his entire life. Every one of Samson's great feats of strength, except the last one, came as a result of him being personally insulted or angered. His life would be funny if it weren't so tragic. Honestly, I was thinking this week about how much Samson was willing to risk just to have an impulse satisfied. And I thought, man, who would even do these things? Who would risk? Being the strongest man alive for a taste of a little honey. Then I realized we do it all the time. We trade God and His promises for the slightest bit of sweetness or pleasure. Moving on, our hero was kind of arrogant. He had an attitude of superiority manifested in assumptions, belief that he is deserving or entitled to certain privileges. I'll prove it this way. I won't go into it all the way, but that is his attitude. He thought, I am special. I mean, an angel told my parents I was going to be born. And I des- he, he would say, I, you know, because I'm special, I deserve that woman. Or I deserve that honey. I, 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 me, 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 my, 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 my. For me, 
It's arrogance. And then overconfident. The quality of being too confident. Excessive confidence in one's own abilities. Overconfident. In Samson's life, everything is about him. It's like the world revolves around him in his eyes. Full of compromise, impulsivity. He is stricken by arrogance and overconfidence. Everything in his life revolves around him. You can tell. Read through the chapters and see how many times Samson says the words, I, me, mine, my. It's all about him. His life is typified by that. Never about others. Only about himself. He, I mean, when, when you think about the fact that it was all about him, think, of, think about his God-given strength. How does he use it? He leverages all of his strength mainly for himself, not for God. Eventually, because of his overconfidence, he, he even allows his hair to be cut because he thinks this grace is from himself and not from somewhere else. He's convinced that his incredible strength is because of him and not because of him. So, compromise, impulsivity, arrogance, Overconfidence. These are four things that could possibly be the greatest threats to what God wants to do in your life. Because when you compromise or become impulsive or live with a sense of entitlement or walk in the pride of life, it causes us to go down a path not to God, but away from Him. But this is what I love about this story and the redemptive nature of God. I need you to see that somehow God in His grace manages to use Samson. Not to his potential, but He uses him. And Samson's whole story is pointing forward. Beyond judges. Beyond judges. He's pointing to another. Here's what I need you to know. Jesus will complete what Samson begins. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus' birth, Jesus' birth and Samson's birth have some remarkable similarities. They are both promised to their parents before birth. The birth of Samson and Jesus were both miraculous. Samson's mom was barren. Mary was a virgin. And one more thing. When with Samson and Jesus, we are told a lot about their births, but almost nothing about their childhood. So there's some similarity there. But unlike Samson, Jesus of Nazareth never compromised. He would keep every facet of God's law, yet without sin, Hebrews 14 says. Instead of being controlled by His impulses, Jesus chose to be controlled by God's will. In fact, after uh, 40 days in the wilderness, 
Jesus would have an interaction with Satan where he would rebuff Satan's attempts to tempt him with bread. And he would say this to Satan, I don't live by bread. I live by God's Word. Jesus didn't do things because it pleased Himself, but He existed to please the Father and to show us what that looks like. Jesus was entitled to the throne, but He wasn't arrogant about it. The Bible lets us know that He would take the role of a servant and submit to God's power, submit to the Father's plan, even up to and including humiliation on the cross at Calvary. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't overconfident. Completely meek. And in saying all that, I want to let you know that if somebody asks you, who is the strongest man in Scripture? You know now, it was not Samson. Jesus is the real strong man. And knowing His glorious life, who He is, how He is, what He likes, what He doesn't like, what He does, what He doesn't do, what He says, what He doesn't say, it will enable you to live like Samson should have lived. God wants to use you, men of this generation, powerfully in the lives of others. The challenge is that we can destroy and disqualify ourselves if we're not careful with compromise, impulsivity, arrogance, and pride. Until you see and believe what Jesus has done for you and for the world, personally, then you'll have the strength to live the way that Samson found it impossible to live. When you see that Jesus is the real strong man who gave up His life to save us, to save the entire world, instead of saying, I want it, you will have the strength to say, I want to do God's will. Instead of saying, I deserve it, you'll confess, all I really deserve is death. And you'll gladly submit to Jesus' Lordship whose way is meek and gentle with us. Instead of saying, my strengths, my talents, my ability, my money, I, me, my, mine, you'll say, oh Jesus, it is all about You. If there were no You, there would be no me. It's all from You and through You and for You. In fact, were the whole realm of nature mine. Huh. Or instead of saying, I got this. I can handle it. You would say, I can't handle anything without God. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I tell you, friends, there's plenty of room up on this pole. The grace of the Lord is so good for men like us. And I wonder, have you been able to evaluate your life to see who and how he is and what you can be.
when you submit the most deepest, darkest parts of your life to the real strong man. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank You today because You are so good. You're so gracious. We thank You, O Lord, because You've been faithful to us. And today, Lord Jesus, we want to honor what You did on the cross at Calvary. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would give us the strength to live in a way that makes You shine in a dark world. O Father in Heaven, we thank You that You so loved the world that You gave Your one and only Son whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life that you, you sent Him into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. It's in the matchless name of our strong man and Your strong Son we pray today. Amen. Amen. God bless you.